Have you ever had that heart-stopping moment when you realized you forgot the password to a critical account? I have, and that's exactly why I switched to 1Password years ago, and honestly, it's been a game-changer. I can't do without 1Password, and I know that if you give it a try, you will feel the same way. And when you support our sponsors, then you support the show. So I encourage you to check out what 1Password has to offer One of the things 1Password has to offer is it combines top-tier security with an award-winning design, making password management a breeze for anyone, anywhere. From the moment I started using 1Password, I said goodbye to the days of resetting passwords and worrying about security breaches. You see, 1Password isn't just about convenience. It's about saving you from the real cost of data breaches and the daily time suck of password resets. It works seamlessly across all your devices, filling in passwords for you so that you can sign in with a click. And the best part, all you need to do is remember one strong password that protects everything else. I've been using 1Password for as long as I can remember. My family is using it. Everyone in this household has bought in. It's, again, a game changer. It's completely transformed how I handle my digital security and my family feels the same way. We've gotten away from using the same passwords again and again and again, or sticky note reminders or having that notebook that says passwords I must remember. Plus, 1Password is trusted by millions, including giants like IBM and Slack. With 1Password, my digital life and my family's digital life is not only more secure, but infinitely simpler. And look, if you've ever been frustrated by a family member constantly asking for passwords, 1Password's secure sharing has been a total relationship saver for me. It's so secure that the Associated Press relies on it in high-risk areas, which means it's more than capable of keeping your digital life safe and streamlined. So why not make the switch? Protect yourself, your family, and your business with 1Password. It's the simple and secure way to manage your digital life. And right now, listeners of A Productive Conversation get a free two-week trial at onepasswordcom convo. That's two free weeks at onepassword.com slash productive convo. Again, onepassword.com slash productive convo. Check out one password. I know you'll fall in love with it like my whole family has. Again, that's onepassword.com slash productive convo for two free weeks. Check it out today. Have you ever considered the impact your work environment has on your health and your productivity? Enter Uplift Desk, a revolutionary standing desk designed to transform the way you work. And that's just the beginning of what Uplift Desk has to offer. With an emphasis on ergonomics and customization, Uplift Desk offers a solution that caters to the dynamic needs of modern professionals. Whether you're coding, designing, or podcasting, like I am right now, the flexibility to switch between sitting and standing can significantly enhance your focus and vitality. What makes Uplift Desk stand out is not just their commitment to quality and innovation, but also their dedication to creating a healthier workspace. With options to customize from over 100 desktop materials and a plethora of accessories, Uplift Desk ensures that your work setup is uniquely yours, promoting better posture and movement throughout the day. And here's an offer to get you started on a healthier work journey starting today. Go to upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting for 5% off your order. That's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting to get 5% off your entire order. Your health, your productivity, your future self will thank you. Again, that's upliftdesk.com slash timecrafting and get 5% off your entire order today. I'm Mike Vardy. Have you ever looked into fasting and thought, I love the benefits, but I can't go days without eating? Well, that's where Prolon comes in, transforming the fasting experience with a plant-based nutrition program that tricks your cells into thinking they're fasting without actually having to stop eating. 
Developed through decades of research at the University of Southern California Longevity Institute, Prolon is not just another diet, it's a scientifically backed program designed to support your body's natural processes. Now keep in mind, this isn't about cutting out food. It's about providing your body with the right nutrients to enter a fasting state while still eating. The program includes snacks, soups, and beverages, all carefully designed to support healthy blood sugar levels, cardiovascular health, and even reduce abdominal fat. And the convenience? It's unmatched. Everything you need comes in one box delivered right to your doorstep. Thousands of doctors now recommend Prolon for its health benefits, backed by Nobel Prize winning science. So if you're looking for a way to kickstart your health journey with all the benefits of fasting and none of the hunger... Prolon is the answer. And right now, Prolon is offering a Productive Conversation listeners 10% off their five-day nutrition program. Go to prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. That's P-R-O-L-O-N life.com slash timecrafting for this special offer. Again, that's prolonlife.com slash timecrafting. Check it out today. Ever caught yourself marveling at the seamless magic of everyday tech, like how noise-canceling headphones block out the world or the sheer bliss of meeting-free Fridays? Now imagine if there was a way to bring that kind of magic into selling online. Well, guess what? There is, and it's called Shopify. From the moment you decide to launch your online shop to opening your first physical store, and even when you're pinching yourself because, yes, you just hit a million orders, Shopify is there to guide your growth. Whether you're selling shipping supplies or the latest productivity tools, Shopify supports you everywhere with their all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system. The checkout? Oh, it's a breeze for your customers, converting up to 36% better than other platforms. And with Shopify Magic, your AI-powered assistant, you're selling more with way less effort. And you won't be alone in your Shopify journey because Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., supporting giants like Allbirds and Brooklinen and millions of entrepreneurs across 175 countries. Their award-winning support is always there, making sure businesses that grow, Grow with Shopify, and yours can be one of those businesses. And for those looking to level up, Shopify's endless integrations and third-party apps from on-demand printing to chatbots ensure your business is always ahead of the curve. So what are you waiting for? Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash timecrafting, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash timecrafting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's shopify.com slash timecrafting. Ever found yourself deep in a project, your flow state so intense that the world around you just fades away? That's the magic zone where ideas take flight and your work truly comes to life. But what if, in a blink, it could all disappear? Hard drives fail, coffee spills, and yes, even the dreaded accidental delete happens. But fear not. Because CrashPlan has your back. Don't wait for disaster to strike. Head over to CrashPlan.com slash timecrafting now for a free trial and secure your creations with their limited time buy one, get one offers. Supporting our sponsors means supporting this podcast. So take a moment to check them out. CrashPlan is the superhero of cloud-based data protection, specifically designed for people like us who live and breathe their digital creations. CrashPlan ensures that every file, every idea, and every piece of hard work is safely backed up and protected. With CrashPlan Professional, you get unlimited backup for your computers, not servers or cloud apps, just pure essential data protection for PC, Mac, and Linux. This means your business plans, designs, music, and documents are continuously encrypted and updated in their secure cloud without you lifting a finger. Imagine this, your laptop takes a dive during a late night work session. With CrashPlan, it's not a disaster, it's just a minor hiccup. Their service runs quietly in the background, safeguarding every change you make every 15 minutes. And if the worst happens, your files are just a few clicks away from being restored with unlimited version retention acting as your personal time machine. For businesses, CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities are a game changer. Buy as many licenses as you need, manage them with ease, and let your team or your IT admin restore data seamlessly, saving precious time and resources. 
So go to crashplan.com slash timecrafting now to sign up for a free trial and take advantage of one of their limited buy one, get one offers for a productive conversation listeners. That's crashplan.com slash timecrafting. Back up better with CrashPlan. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. On this episode of the Productivityist Podcast, I chat with Claire Tompkins. Now, Claire works with clients to organize and declutter their homes and offices, manage their time, and get things done. In over 10 years, she has worked with teachers, artists, accountants, writers, architects, entrepreneurs, and more as a professional organizer. And she's learned what works and what doesn't to get people organized. Her specialty, creating simple, practical systems for real people that just work instead of something fancy looking that you just don't have time or energy to maintain. And that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to Claire today, because if you've been listening to my work for a while and reading my work for a while, you know that I'm all about simple scalable, flexible, durable. And Claire and I talk about that. We talk about digital clutter. We talk about Kanban. We talk about a whole slew of things during this episode. So let's just dive into it. Here's my conversation with Claire Tompkins here on the Productivities Podcast. Enjoy. So uh, I've got a lot of clutter. Uh, <laughs> I do, Claire. Uh, I, I have. Um, the thing is, is that a lot of the clutter that I have is not as visible as the clutter that, you know, most people think about when they think about clutter. When when you think about clutter, what do you think about? Well, there is the classic clutter, which is piling up on your horizontal surfaces, making them unusable for other things. But, yeah, there's there can be clutter other places. There can be clutter that's hidden away in your closets and cupboards, or there can be clutter in your head which is all the ideas that you haven't written down, all the things that you wanted to do that you haven't gotten done that are bugging you. So if you are bothered by clutter, it is a good thing to address it wherever it is. Clutter seems like one of those things. I mean, I, I spent some time in it uh, and <laughs> studying it, <laughs> definitely in it. Um, and, and the mental stuff is the stuff that can, I mean, I've, I've gotten much better uh, through, you know, just relentless capture and stuff like that of getting things out of my head and in front of me. Um, the digital clutter is the tricky part for me and for, you know, even, even, you know, I, I use a tool like Evernote and, you know, you're, you, you've got, you know, your filing systems and stuff like that set up in, in terms of electronic clutter. Um, I want to talk about digital clutter a little bit as we kick off and then we'll dive into, you know, how you got into clutter in the first place. But what, what is, do you deal with the digital clutter space a lot? And if so, how do you deal with it when you're dealing with clients and with, with, with people who are you, like your audience? Well, I have to confess, I don't emphasize digital clutter because, I mean, you know, the, the, the cloud is huge. You can really put so much in there. And if you put something in there that gets lost, well, it's too bad, but it's not actually taking up space in your living space or your office. Um, I think the main problem with digital clutter is that we are inclined to keep everything that crosses our path, because we do have all this room. So it's not so much that you're keeping a lot, but you're not um, identifying it and putting it into a place where you might actually go look for it again, which is a similar concept to how you organize your paper files. If you don't give those folders names that make sense, that, you know, that would make you go look for something again. Like I find a lot of people will name something by what the document says it is. Like here's stuff from the conference I took. But you're never going to look at, you don't really care about that conference. It was four years ago. What, what it, where those things need to go is future marketing materials for me, because that's the reason you're keeping it. 
So if you identify the digital or paper things you're keeping properly, then you can find them again. Excellent. Excellent. And, and I think that a lot of people, I think you can, like you said, you can translate those skills like from one type of clutter to the other. So I think that that's really, you know, something that people need to key in on a little bit more for sure. But why, why did you get into clutter? Like what was your fascination with the idea of like, I'm going to help people with their clutter? It, you know, in retrospect, this seems like I had an epiphany about it and it probably was not quite as dramatic as it is in my memory, but I did used to have a lot of clutter. I was a collector and I was very interested in so many things and I think I got that from my dad, who was a journalist, and he was a piler, and he was just he was just interested in everything. He was really a great guy. I miss him a lot. Um, so at one point in my 20s, I covered my entire bedroom wall with corkboard, and I would put up you know letters and postcards I'd gotten, flyers, photographs I liked, cartoons I cut out of magazines, quotations. I mean, you name it. It was like covered with stuff. And in my memory, just I woke up one day and I thought. I just don't even know where to look. I can't focus on any of this stuff. Oh, what's that? Oh, man. My attention was like ping-ponging all over the place, and it was so frustrating that I just I took that thing down. And that, to me, was the start of my journey about how clutter is. It's just it's visually confusing to me. I cannot really focus on what I need to do if I've got a lot in my visual field that's distracting me. Diving in a little bit deeper, where did you start? Like, where did you, when you were looking at clutter, like for yourself, especially, like, where did you start? And where do you start with others when you're trying to help them with their clutter? Well, first I ask them what the problem is. I mean, I don't, I don't identify it myself. It has to come from them because it's what bothers them. Because I have worked with people who take me to their desk, which looks very orderly, and they point to a pile that's maybe a quarter of an inch high, and they say, it's that, it's that horrible pile. What am I going to do? Whereas other people will have a desk that's completely covered with stuff, but they'll take me over to a bookshelf in the corner and say, you know, all these books are just kind of out of order. So it really does depend. It's so personal how organization is going to work for you and what kind of things that you need to get things done. So that's the first thing I do. I need to explore with them how they see the problem. What's How are they identifying it? And then discover discover why the clutter is there. I mean, the main reason the clutter is there is because of uh, unmade decisions. So there's a thing that appeared and they never decided what the next thing that happens to it is. So it's still there waiting for a decision, waiting for it to be pushed to its next spot on the road. I want to talk about one of your podcast episodes um, as we uh-huh. dive in deeper. Like, <laughs> And one of the things that, that, that uh, the idea of making your tasks a card game Okay, uh-huh. your regular tasks. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because as soon as I hear that, as soon as I, I saw that, I'm thinking, oh, I'm thinking Kanban, like almost immediately, you know, the movement of cards and stuff like that. Can you can you dive into it a little bit deeper? Oh, a con game? No, That's Kanban, your- like Japanese, like like the Kanban method of productivity where you're moving cards around and you have different lists. It's kind of like Agile, which evolved from Kanban. Oh, I actually don't know what that is. Sorry to say. Um, so I can't tell you how it's different from that. It's I'll be just, able to, t- I'll be able to tell you. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> yeah. The card thing is just a simple way of making it a little less, um, onerous to do things that you have to do on a regular basis. Because sometimes when you've got a list, you know, kind of a punch list, I got to do this and then I got to do this and I got to do this. And when you see it all written down in one list, it's like, Oh man, we're only n- number three. This is so boring. But if it's a card game, then the, just the act of shuffling, if they've got, if they're colored cards or they have pictures on them, it just kind of adds a little bit of fun to it. Like, well, what, what, what am I going to pick? I'm not, so you don't set yourself up to resist the particular task because you don't know what it is yet. So it's a way of overcoming resistance, which I think everybody needs. Yeah, let's talk about resistance. Actually, one of the one of the when we kind of talked about the uh, the stuff we're going to dive into today. You're a fan of the War of Art, the book, the War yeah. of Art. And uh, Stephen Pressfield stuff. What right. what draws you to what drew you to that book? I mean, it's 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 a really po- powerful and popular book, with especially with creative set. But where yeah. what what drew you in? Well, I in addition to I mean, before I started this business and before I started working at all, I I did consider myself an artist and a writer, and I still am. Um, and I have spent many many years, you know, piling imprecations on my head that I am just not doing the work, so I must not be any good, and I must not really be an artist, or else I would just get in there and do it. So reading that book was a revelation to me that even productive 
well-known artists have this problem and that there's ways around it. And it doesn't mean that you are bad or wrong or just not getting it done or lazy or any of those things. So that was just a lifesaver for me. Excellent. And then another book that you're a fan of, and I, I like to talk a little bit about the books that people are, is The Willpower Instinct, which I haven't read yet. I've, I've, I've mm-hmm. looked at it, but I haven't. Can you, I mean, I'm, I, again, I'm a big fan of Green Lantern, who's a huge willpower type of person. Uh, that's his, that's where his powers are derived from. You'd think I'd read that book by this point in time. But what, what, what is the message or what did you take from that book that really, and it's Kelly McGonigal, right? I think, isn't it? Yes, I read the book, but I also I read it in conjunction with taking her class, which was really interesting. So she is I mean, she's a scientist. So quite a bit of the class and the book, too, is um, about looking at experiments that people have done to discover what this willpower thing is and how how it works. And one of the things I remember, which I think is still subject to debate, which is that we really only have a certain amount of willpower every day and you can use it up which is probably why it works when experts will tell you, well, don't check email in the morning, do the important stuff in the morning. Excuse me. Because your willpower by afternoon is just not going to be there. It'll be so much harder to motivate yourself. Um, But it was really fun to read the experiments that people did and just discover how people rationalize to themselves what they're going to do. And what I'm remembering right now is um, Burger King decided to start offering salads on their menu. And somebody did a study of you know, like the before and afters. So people who were trying to lose weight, they went to Burger King and how did they order? And what they discovered was that people would order, once the salads came on the menu, people would order a cheeseburger and fries just because salads were on the menu. And they, they rationalized, well, I could have ordered the salad. So I get credit for that. And that kind of thing just totally trips me out, just the way people think. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the things that the, another book that I find really powerful, and, and I know a lot of people do as well, is The Power of Habit by Charles Duick. And mm. one of the things you work on are, 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 oh, yeah. are ha- is, is habit creation, right? Like you work on the idea of developing new habits with your clients, which which yeah. obviously ties into clutter. But how does how does that that building of new habits? How does that you know kind of um, worked with with what you're doing with your clients so that they can again digging into the like why do you do the things you do here let's build some new habits that will help you stop doing mm-hmm. those things like how does that work for you well i do think that uh Duhigg uses this in the book but i think i'd read about this earlier that it really helps to develop a new habit if you are going to piggyback it onto something else mm-hmm. yeah and the classic exp- I, you know the explanation i use as well if you want to start flossing your teeth do it right after before you brush your teeth because you're already brushing your teeth and all that equipment can be in the same place, and it's just a natural thing. You're in the right spot. You've got the right tools. You've got a little extra time. You can just do it. So another way to do that, which I really like to use with people, is if you're trying to do something new in your home or office, um, put it into um, what I call an interstice of time. So it's you've just gotten to the office, and you haven't yet started to – you haven't opened the computer to look at email. So you've got a little gap there. And you could do something that is new and put it into that gap because one thing has ended, you've come into the office, but the other thing hasn't begun yet. Um, And creating those is also, I mean, that's kind of the more advanced version, but Mm -hmm. I think it's more easy just to work with what you've got now because you're always kind of stopping something and doing another thing. And in between those two things, there can be a little bit of a free time that you can utilize. One of the ways that you do this is, is, with the habits, you're hitting your clients up with email via email, right? To say, hey, you know what? How are you doing with this? How are you doing with this? Is that, mm-hmm. I guess, one of the things, my, my first question on that is, um, doesn't that get them into email too much? Uh, <laughs> and then number two is, is how um, you said that it's really worked. Um, is it because they're, it, it, you're, you're hitting them in, the, in a spot that they naturally look at, or and it's because you're giving that accountability that's required, or is it a combination of both? Well, my work with email clients is very narrow and focused, for one thing. Right. So I start with them by doing an intake interview, and we pick what they're going to work on. We plan when they are going to do this. So one of my clients has chosen, she works at home, she's chosen to do 20-minute sessions on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And she has a variety of projects, but a lot of it is dealing with paper. So she has set aside the time. I told her to write it into her calendar. And she, she knows it's coming. She knows it's going to happen. But I don't bombard people with emails. I email her on Mondays and Fridays. And if she has questions during the week, I answer. But it's actually quite, um, there's really not that much email at all. 
but it's still it works really effectively because you're hitting them right where they're right where they're looking, you know, like right, right where they will spend time versus because I've worked with clients and we, we often share a, a project management tool because I want them to use that tool. Um, mm. And that's kind of what I do. But I also do email as well. So it's, it, I guess it's, um, you know, for, and you, it, it really just does depend on who you're working with, I would imagine. Right. Yeah. And maybe also the scope of the project. What you just described sounds like it's quite a larger scope than what I'm doing with my clients. Yeah. I mean, mine is normally we're we're building their productivity, you know, approach from the ground up. So it's kind of there's a lot. I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. more to it than that, because it's not so much, you know, Mm. a clutter situation, let's say. But it's more of a, hey, how do we, you know, how do we get you, um, how do we get you into a position where, um you're more productive so that clutter may not happen in the first place. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think that's kind of where, where that, Mm. where that comes into play. Um, let's talk about what your basic sorting and organizing principles are when it comes to working with clients. Like where, you know, I mean, obviously we talk about like where they start, which is based on their pain points, but you know, when someone is working with a clutter coach or with, or with you in particular, um, where, what are the, some of the basic principles and sorting principles that people, you know, because some people haven't read things like, you know, I mean, there's some books out there that talk about this. One of the more popular ones, I guess, is the um, the magic. The, what is the tidying up book? Um, yes. Which, which again, I know some some organizers and, and are really, you know, they, they're 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 they love that book and others are not too fond of it. Um, where do you start with basic sorting and organizing in terms of the principles that you, you want to kind of push forward with your clients? Well, you're right. We do start with a pain point. So what is the place that is bothering you the most? But it also has to be a place where you have energy to work. Because if it's bothering you so much that it feels impossible or upsetting, then we should start somewhere else. Right. And it's also a good idea to start at a place where you're going to get some bang for your buck. So I almost never start with somebody in their garage unless the garage is the only thing that we're doing because it's all backlog, you know, the stuff they haven't even seen for years. So I'm, I'm thinking now of one client I was working with her in her, she has one of those kitchen offices. It's very nice. It's got a big counter space and lots of drawers, but all the drawers are completely miscellaneous now. So we're basically taking them one by one. So I, I think I mean, when you're talking about your technique is more from the ground up. Mine is more, let's see what we've got here. And I will give you concepts as we go along and we will kind of massage it into something different. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we look at one drawer, okay, it's full of, you know, balloons and magnets and flashlights that don't work and invitations and postcards and stamps. And, but this is the top drawer. So I'm thinking, well, she's got some cards in here. So she does mail in here. So maybe this could be the mail one, but basically we take everything out and we sort it into for her, the the categories are often hardware. There's like picture hanging stuff and a, a wrench for some reason. There's stationery, there's um, photographs of people in her life, so that's a special category. There's office supplies, there's jewelry sometimes. So we go through, you know, I I tell her this is how we sort into categories because these things are probably going to go, they're going to stay together in their categories somewhere else. And we're going to look at them and see, well, what is useful to be here? Jewelry, probably not so much. It's probably in here because it's broken, so something needs to happen to it. The hardware, maybe you want like a couple of things in here. You know, having a measuring tape in your top drawer, that's useful. But the other stuff can go elsewhere. So you're sorting by type of thing and then deciding what types of categories are going to be in this particular space, like one drawer. What happens when you meet resistance? Because I'm sure you do. You know, the people, I mean, I come across this where people are like, oh, but, but you know, like email is a great example. Um, but why am I moving things from one thing to another when I could just keep them in my inbox? Uh, you know, uh, things like why, um, why would I, uh, if my day gets so, um, if I have disruptions through my day, why am I theming this day? Because I get a lot of disruptions. Like, so you get that, that pushback. Um, Mm. you, you, I'm sure you experience it. How do you deal with it? Yeah. Let me try to think of an example. I think since I work so often with clients in their homes, it's going to be more emotional pushback. Mm -hmm. Just that they, and it has to often to do with regret for time lost regret for paths not pursued, regret, regret that they don't have time to do the things that they think they want to. Um, so we talk about that a little bit. I mean, my, my work does really involve being a, a part-time therapist. You know, I don't get too deep into it because I'm not trained in that. Mm-hmm. But I like to at least skate over the top of, you know, well, how does that make you feel? What, what, if, what if the story were a little bit different? What if we could just say, well, this was something that you 
gave your best effort to, and you have good memories of it, but it really doesn't have a place in your life now. You know, try that, try on that thought, and how does that make you feel? Is that the kind of thing you're, you're thinking about? Yeah, totally. Like the idea of, of you know, that emotional, I mean, because, and I think the same thing happens, honestly, with my work a little bit is, is that even though it's te- maybe technical or tactical in nature, it's, it's fear. You know, it's like, but this is the way I've been doing things. And if I don't do it this way, how do I know that, what if I miss something or um, it seems like it's too much work? Right. What do you do in situations where, I mean, obviously you're working with clients maybe on a recurring basis when you notice that they're sliding back into old habits or slide or the clutter's creeping back in, you know, kind of like, uh, you know, if you're if you're looking at a um, at, at someone's office and it looks really clean, except for their inbox is starting to pile up or there's a drawer that was cleaned out, but now it's being used as, quote unquote, a junk drawer again. How do you how do you deal with that? <laughs> Well, or I do, do you just ignore it? You're like, forget clutter. it. I'm gonna. You're not gonna die on that hill, kind of thing. <laughs> um, I do a lot of reassurance. You know, I I do feel like my clients are pretty hard on themselves. So there's that. Right. But I also do believe that clutter is, um, you know, it's like the weather. There's going to be weather every day. You're just going to have to deal with it. You've got to get an umbrella or a coat or something. You can't just make weather go away. What is more important is knowing how to deal with it when it arrives. I mean, especially in terms of paper, but stuff as well. Paper and stuff is coming into everybody's lives every day. And actually, this is a little speech I sometimes give to my clients, especially living in a capitalist society. We've got stuff coming at us constantly, stuff we buy, stuff that just comes in, stuff that other family members bring in, stuff that we borrowed and just doesn't ever leave. But And there's all the commercial messages about acquiring things, but there are very, very few messages about getting them out. Right. So- you're always going to have to be putting effort into getting them out. And that is on you to do it. It's not going to happen by magic. So that is the habit to develop is just to be able to objectively survey your space and developing objectivity is one of the best things that you could ever do, you know, be able to step back and look at the desk and say, wait a second, I don't have room to work here anymore. Oh, those magazines, I was going to give them to the neighbor and I haven't done that yet. And just kind of go through one by one through those things that, you know, go somewhere else, but you delayed decision-making or, you weren't sure what to do or you have to ask somebody else and just understand what it, what the process here is. It's the, that you have not taken the actions that will further this. I, I think there's another book that I don't think I mentioned that's called, uh, <clears throat> what is it called? It's about the six styles of procrastination. And I use that a lot with my clients. It's written by a psychologist. Um, I'll see if I can think of the name. But she really pinpoints the, ver- the various things, the personality types that make you procrastinate. And one of them is the defier, which is like, you can't make me. And I find that people who, who it's about time, it's about time. Yeah. 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 You know that book? Uh, I've not read it, Yeah, but, but I know of uh-huh. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't even really have to read the whole thing. Just read the, ver- the various personality types and you get a lot of information from that. But so are you defying something? Are you defying it because of some message from your past that says, well, you know, somebody's trying to control me and that's why I'm not doing this. But, you know, I try to bring them into the present and say, actually, you're a grown up now. Nobody is trying to control you. They might be making requests, but they're not trying to control you. And now you get to control your own environment so you can take power and have the own, your own power of your own environment. So that's another way I try to do a turnaround with people. How tough do you think it's for people to step back? You talk about stepping back. I find that it's a challenge for people when they're when they're in the weeds and they're doing, doing, doing everything's coming at them so quickly. How, um, obviously when you have a, a, a appointment with them, they're stepping back because I find that, you know, I've, I've worked with clients where, um, their emails out of control. We spent a half hour together and it's back in some, you know, it, it's, it's back in some semblance of control again, if not completely, you know, as long as they maintain the practices. Um, what do you say to people who are, who are saying, oh, I don't have time to take a step back to do this right now. Like, I just don't, uh, um, again, where, because that's a pain point to begin with for a lot of people too, is, well, when am I going to find the time to step back? When am I going to do this? Um, how do you kind of map that process out for somebody? Because obviously if they don't get started, they're never going to finish. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I have a couple of tricks for that. I, uh, one thing I like to tell people is that they should look at their space after they've been out of town for a couple of days, because then they can see it fresh. Mm. You know, it's, it's kind of amazing how different things look to you when you haven't been in that environment for a long time. Um, and if we can't do that, I say, you know, well, let's just pretend that you're showing your home to a friend of a friend, like your friend came over and brought somebody with them who was from another country. 
And they're wondering like, wow, you've got plants on these shelves. That's so wacky. We don't do that where I live. I think just being exposed to another perspective of how a home or an office is arranged can let you see things that you couldn't see before. Right. Uh, Even something as simple as taking photographs. I had a really striking experience once years ago with somebody who ended up not hiring me because I think her pain was just too great. But she had a very, very cluttered home. And she was a pretty successful professional and really hadn't had time to deal with things. And I think she'd had personal issues as well. But things were just stacked up all over. And I just noticed in the conversation that we were, I was having trouble getting her to focus on, well, why is this here? You know, she was, her uh, eye was roaming all over the place and saying, well, I don't think this is really the problem. Let's go in the other room. So I just had this brainstorm that we should take some photos. I said, well, why don't we take some before photos and we can compare them to the after ones. And she, I had, this was a brand new camera. I didn't quite know how to work it. And she was helping me figure out what button to press to get them to photos to record. So I took a three or four photos and then I showed them to her right there, you know, in the little viewfinder. This is way back in the day when we had digital cameras that were like that. And uh, she looked at a couple of the photos and she said, well, I guess I didn't get it to work because you, you didn't take any pictures. And there was this long silence. And I said, these are actually pictures of the room we're standing in. And she just stared at me. She, she could not recognize her own space when she saw it in a picture. Wow. That's the most dramatic experience I've ever had like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was just crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, what's interesting when I hear something like that, it's the same thing that, you know, I mean, people don't, because they don't take that step back, they don't, they get lost in their own in my mm-hmm. case, their own to-do list or their own, you know, day-to-day. In your case, they get lost in, in the fact that this is just the way it is and this is the way it always has been. And I can't, um, you know, I can't, you can't see the forest for the trees, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to talk about your to-do list because you talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, you, I mean, you, you, you and I, before we started recording, talked about some of the people that, you know, we, we looked to and looked towards and, um, Merlin Mann would be one of those um, for when when he was doing his 43 folder stuff, as well as Leo Babato, who's a friend and uh, wrote, you know, Zen to Done. And he's kind of both those guys actually, oddly, oddly enough, have kind of shifted away from productivity stuff in general. Um, mm. But the lessons that they've taught um, and, and, and the writing you could still get online. Absolutely. Um, where like what? kind of influence did those two authors maybe even separately uh, have on you and, and on your work either before you got into it or as you kind of continue forth with it? Well, there's, there's definitely is fitting all of my to do's into the much larger context of my life and how I want to live and how, where I want to be in five years or 10 years. So right. that's again, kind of talking about the objectivity thing. I also didn't mention David Allen, who's been a big influence on me because I want to know that I've got the energy and the resources to do any particular thing that I have on my list. And then uh, I I also think I base my to-do list on an even earlier icon who was Ivy Lee, who was the one who invented that six item to-do list. Yep. And that I think is really, that's that's helped me a lot because I write my to-do list on little index cards. You know, they're nice and small. They're not overwhelming. I, I can see at a glance what's on there, which is the thing that's fantastic about paper. I don't ever, I've tried in the past using to-do lists on apps or on my computer, but it's always involved switching a screen to go back to it. Whereas my little index card, it's right here. Always, always, always. And I can just glance at it. And that is uh, invaluable to me. Um, it's easy to kind of underline stuff and annotate it with symbols and cross things out and yeah, so that I really love. And and the index card obviously keeps me from putting too much stuff on it because it's very small. And I rewrite them sometimes every day, not always, but rewriting them is a really important part of the process because it forces me to review the whole thing. Okay, am I going to write this on the next day? Maybe I'm going to write it in a slightly different way because I couldn't quite get my way into it yesterday or I wasn't focusing on a part of it that I really want to be focusing on. Or I made it too broad a task or actually this is not important anymore. So I think that daily review is is super important, and I'm not really sure who that came from. I think it's come from all of them in some way, shape, or form. I mean, what's interesting is that you hear, yeah. you know, David Allen's getting things done methodology is fantastic. It's not going to be for everybody, um, but there are aspects right. of it that will be, and um, there are aspects of it like the Tickler file that have existed for you know hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, Merlin has adopted getting things done, but he's also doing other things as well. Leo obviously modified some of it for Zen to done and, and 
the Ivy Lee method, which, you know, you'll, I'll have a, a link to the show notes because James Clear has written an excellent piece on that. Um, yes. I, I'll, uh, I'll make that's, that's again, and you're seeing that stuff being adapted with Dave Shea's emergent task planner, right? Where he's got his list of, mm. you know, the six things. So, you know, I mean, I think that, that the great thing about all of this stuff is that you can personalize your process. And I think that that's how important is that to you when, when you're, when you're working with somebody to say, you know what, this is the way that like you come in with your fundamentals, but ultimately you want to have them leave with their own personalized process so that they can own it. Right. Oh yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's partly by observing them as we work together. You know, if I see, if we go through a pile and I find five to-do lists on little pieces of paper, I'll usually suggest that they get a big notebook that's not going to get lost in the pile. Right. Even though I like writing mine on index cards, if a person can't keep track of those, it's not going to work. So get something huge that is not going to migrate. You know, it's got a bright cover, whatever it takes to have it stay put and not get piled on top of. Yeah. That's what I can think of this second. No, that's, and you know what, I think that's a good way to kind of wrap things up too, is, is, you know, I mean, I think the important thing for people to know is that each of these processes, you know, you, in order for you to fully vest in in them and to get like, right, you need to find either, as, you need to find as much of it as possible that is from your own devising. And, and I think, you know, folks like yourself, Claire, and folks like me, our job is to make that accessible because a lot of people, they just, they, they, they'll read a book or they'll read something on the internet or they'll look at a Facebook post and go, I know I can do that. And then they do it. And it's just, there's no, there's no oomph behind it because it's, it's, you know, somebody else's thing. Right. Or they, or they just give up and they say, this is not for me Yep. Yep. because they don't realize what questions to ask. And sometimes I'll tell my client, okay, I know this is a really stupid question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Why do you have this thing? Mm-hmm. And that's, that is an, that's another way of being objective because people don't step back to even, and this was a tagline I used when I was doing more productivity consulting. You know, instead of asking yourself how to do something better, ask yourself why you're doing it at all. And people just, you know, they forget to do that. They get, they, they get in ruts or they develop, they use a system that they started using when they first went to college or something like that. And they just don't ever realize that it needs to be looked at and analyzed and see if it's working. And if it's not working well, why not? So if you're not getting exercise, you know, oh, I got this gym membership and I just never, never go. And I say, well, what if you took a class with your friend who was already going to the class? You know, she's going to be there. It starts at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. You know when it's happening. She's going to call you if you don't come and wonder where you are. You know, use those kind of external accountabilities, which we didn't have time to talk about, but those are really important. I, I think there's a very small population of the world that is internally motivated enough to do things without having tricks and tips from the the outside world to force them into it, to trick them into it. I want to shift gears just before we, we close things out and talk to you about you were doing producti- productivity consulting. Mm-hmm. Why did you shift away from that and focus on clutter? Like what was the impetus behind doing that? Um, just because I find it's funny. I, I've had some chats with people in the personal organizing space and they, they've said, oh, you know, you need to bring in that component into your business. And I've thought about it. Um, but I also know that it's not necessarily what drives me. If I was going to do it, I'd have other people I will kind of offer it or something like that through productivity. But it's not something that that drives me. Like what what mm. was the, what was the reason behind you saying, you know, I'm doing mostly productivity stuff and now I'm going to shift like, were you always doing both? And then you just kind of said, I'm going to put more focus on clutter. Or was it just a, an intentional shift away? Well, it was the third option, which is just the people who seemed to be coming to me were more people who needed help with clutter. You're listening to your audience. <laughs> yeah. And I really would like to promote the other more. I guess I feel sort of at a disadvantage because I never have spent time in the corporate world. So I feel like maybe my ideas would not be taken seriously, although I'm fairly certain that I know what I'm talking about. Um, So that's another thing that I feel like maybe I'm letting that hold me back a little bit. But I would really like to do more of that because I really enjoy it a lot. Well, let's let's call it. Let's call it. We'll 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 see if we can get you back into that a little bit because there's not enough. You know what? First off, a there's not enough. um, There are people that that are out there doing it, but I got to say there's not enough women doing it. There are not. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember when Lifehacker, when Gina was the person that was running, Gina Trapani, mm-hmm. and it was like she was the person that, I mean, there's Julie Morgenstern, and there's, you know, I mean, obviously you've got people out there, Laura Vanderkam's doing mostly writing, but 
Um, you know, there's and, and Laura McClellan, of course, has a podcast called The Productive Woman. There, there, there are some, but not near. I mean, it's a it's dominated largely by men. Um, it's true. Yes, and and I think the space. I mean, it, what I found, and I went to NAPO. I went to the National Association of Professional mm-hmm. Organizers Conference, and mm-hmm. I was told it will be predominantly women. And I think predominantly is an understatement. I think it was it is, like, yes. it was, it was, I think there was like, maybe I could, I could catch, you know, I could scan the room and go, okay, there's one guy, another guy, another guy. But when you go to a, a conference where we talk about like, I mean, I'm sure I didn't go to the GTD summit, but I'm fairly mm-hmm. certain that it would have been, you know, mostly men that would have been mm-hmm. there because that's who you see in the space. Um, yeah. So we definitely need, I mean, there's definitely a need for more women in the space because, you know, there's, I, I think there's just something to having, a, you know, a woman, a woman who can coach you on that stuff, especially for other women um, versus, you know, yeah. a man doing it. I, I don't know. That's just my, my personal thoughts. What do you think about that, that, that idea of, you know, saying like, why, like, why do you think it's mostly a male dominated kind of um, area? Cause I mean, again, you look at productivity blogs and stuff and there's a lot that are, you know, the women are definitely in the minority. Hmm. Yeah. Well, I know this is also something that makes me different, which has maybe held me back, and it shouldn't because it is important to have a different point of view. But a lot of guys, and I'm not putting you in this basket, but a lot of men, they like to develop systems mm. and kind of really, uh, really detailed ones. I was actually just looking at there was a a link that I think came from your site, uh, hackmake.org. Oh, Nick Wynia. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And he's got this long, long bulleted list. of Okay. It's three screens. Now it's four screens. I'm sorry. I don't want to read that much. That's it's, it's too comprehensive for me. And I do think that that repels people. And that is the, one of the big reasons why the books that I've written are short. They are short. My 52 simple ways to get organized. That is each tip is a page long. That's all. Because I think that, I, and I've actually had personal experience with this, I've gone to a client's home, and I see organizing books on the shelf, and you know they're fabulous books, they're written by my colleagues, and I love them, but my client will get to page 20 and go, oh, I can't do this, I really can't, this is just overwhelming. I, I can't even get into this. It's like, what, a 365-day plan? I'm on day 10, and I just want to give up. So that is what I feel my niche is, is like easing people into it. You can do this one, one little thing. And my podcast is based on that book. So that's also what that's about. So because my approach is really not, okay, we're going to rework for this from the ground up and make a bulletproof system. I just, I don't think that way. I think let's figure out what hacks we can do now, see how that improves it. Okay, that's great. Okay, this one wasn't working. Let's improve that. Okay, this thing is really getting in the way of all of it. So let's kind of try to get that out of the way. So I like to sort of just plunge into the jungle with my machete and just clear as I go. Well, and and I think that that's one of the things I noticed too. And I have a system that I teach, but one of the things I noticed was, yeah, there is a lot of complexity behind them. And I've had to catch myself, even with my own approach, saying, "Is this getting like if you?" I wanted to build something that if you didn't do all of it, it mm-hmm. would still work well. And I think that that's a large problem with a lot of those systems out there is that if you don't do all of it, it topples like a house of cards. And so, I mean, one of the things I, I struggle with, not I, don't struggle, I find challenging is when I'm working with clients and I talk about theming days and then I get into the idea of mode-based work, which is not too far-fetched from context-based work. It's just, I mean, there mm-hmm. are some obvious, um, that's where they start to go, what? Okay, so I don't like what mode, like, and I'm like, okay, listen, you don't have to do this part at all like this is just okay if you want to add this layer again like the idea of you know stacking habits with other habits right like we talked about earlier on you know if you don't want to do this that's fine you know it will it's not going to make or break you whereas you know if you don't do in 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 other uh methodologies if you don't do every part of it then you're almost being told that you're 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 either directly or indirectly being told that you're not doing it at all and I think mm. that that, that, you know, like I said, with the four, I mean, I've seen, I mean, I look at like, I like Dave Shea's emergent task planner. I think it's pretty interesting, but I look at it and I see like one, <laughs> two, three, four, five, six, seven parts of the thing. And I'm like, oh, like that, <laughs> I, I, you know, I get it. And there are some people that love doing it, but yeah. I pr- prefer to say, okay, um, 
Do you like writing things down on lists? Sure. Great. Um, now, you can categorize the list into columns using what I call the daily map. Or if you don't want to do that, that's fine. But here's a way to know whether or not you've done the things or not. Because I'm sure you come across where you like you get a piece of paper and someone's got it. You're like, what's on this? And they're like, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> you know, did you do all this stuff? I don't know. Whereas I'm right. like, okay, listen, I said you can cross it. If you put a line through it, it's done. If you put an arrow through it, it means you moved it to your master planner, whether that's paper or digital. If you put a squiggly line through it, like crossed it off that way, then you know you've deleted it. And it, if it doesn't have any one of those three lines in it, then you know you haven't made a decision on it yet. Simple. Mm-hmm. Super simple. And, yeah. it, and, and that's all you – I mean, if you just do that – you're already going to be a few steps ahead because at least you're going to look at the sheet of paper and go done, deferred, deleted, and not decided upon. Like you're really going to be able to look at it and, make, and, and know it right away. Um, and that's all you want. In a, I think all you want in a system is, I mean, you want it to be simple, as simple as possible. You want it yes. to be flexible and durable, which is what I think, you know, hopefully mine does. But I also think that people just want to be able to know, like they want certainty from it. And the more complex it is, the harder it is to trust. Yes. And that's one of my favorite David Allen concepts. You have to trust your system or else all bets are off. Yeah. And, and, and one of the problems I came across with, I mean, after practicing GTD for a number of years, is eventually it got too – and part of it is the, the weight I put on it, for sure. You know, I mean, having too many things in there definitely can weight things down. But eventually, you, I mean, you end up figuring out that I'm not really looking at the horizons of focus very far ahead. I'm, I'm on the runway most of the time with this stuff. Mm-hmm. Or, um, you know what, I'm working, I'm looking at my contexts and they're getting too out of control. Or they're not, or I've got the wrong context, so I have to go back and evaluate. And eventually, you just have to decide, okay, is this, is this for me? And if it isn't, then... First off, you better find something that is because going with nothing, you know, is 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 again, that's almost like, again, having clutter like, you know, it, you want to have it organized, um, yeah. but you better figure that out. And, and, you know, one of the worst things that I've seen happen, I'm sure you can attest to this as well, is people will get an app like Evernote or like something else and they'll say, um, oh, I'm putting it all in Evernote or I'm putting it all into this task manager and it should be fine. No, <laughs> no, because <laughs> you, you need to have a, a framework before it goes into there because what if that app goes away? Like we've seen mm-hmm. many, many times. Or what if the, what, you know, what if you throw too many things in there and you haven't put the, you know, you haven't set it up properly in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that to me is, is, is where a lot of things fall down and, and I mean, I'm sure you come across that, too, where people will go (laughs) for clutter. Like, I went to the container store, and I bought all these things. And you're like, why? (laughs) Like, why? Like, you don't need, um, you know. And and when I was at Napo, I'm like, oh, look at all these cool little organizing things. And my brain went, well, will you be able to bring this home in your suitcase? And number two is, why are you bringing – like, again, the why are you bringing this home? Is it really something that you absolutely need? Is it – is is the is the Sterlite container going to make this big, huge, monumental shift in your life? Mm-hmm. Yes. Before I even see a client, that's one of the things I say: do not go shopping first, because yeah. we don't know what you need yet. Don't buy that really cute thing because it might just be an albatross, and we're just not going to use it. Yeah, and then you're looking at it, and and, and you either try to find you shoehorn it in, right? Like yeah. people, people are so. Like I've had clients that are like, oh man, I have Evernote and I've been using it, and 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 they're like, but I'm in a Microsoft environment, and so one, I'm like, well, use OneNote. Yeah, but I have Evernote. Well, export the stuff from <laughs> Evernote to OneNote. Yeah, but what do I do with Evernote? Nothing. Right. Let it go. But yeah. but I've pay, I've I've paid nine ninety nine a month for the past. Well, that's fine. Oh yeah. Let it go. I paid for it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is why so many people use free tools. They're like, well, that way. Yeah. But the problem with free tools is if they're free for too long, they go away because Mm -hmm. nobody's supporting them. Right. We've seen that with a, I mean, what was it? Spring pad was like an Evernote alternative. And I remember sitting down at South by Southwest with the CEO. We're talking about how great it was and how maybe I might want to jump on board and do some stuff with them. And I'm like, yeah, sure. And within, I think three months after that, they were, they were, um, they were acquired. And it's like, goodbye. You know, and you yeah. see that a lot. So, you know, I mean, again, in both of our spaces that we're talking about, and I know you, 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 you I mean, you, you obviously have a, a foot in the productivity space as well, is get that system, like get, get, mm-hmm. get your workflow. And I, I think workflow is probably a better term than system in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. workflow it, to me sounds like, okay, it, it allows the work to flow. Whereas a mm-hmm. system sounds very rigid to a lot of uh, people. 
right? You know, like here's my system and it's eight points and did it. Um, you know, I think that there's something to be said for, for obviously having frameworks in place, but you, they got to be your frameworks. They got to be your boundaries because if they're not, then they're not going to work for you. Right. Well, I do love Evernote, but I tend not to recommend apps. And now you're giving me a really good reason not to. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, the thing is, is I everything for me generally starts on paper. And then if it goes to the digital realm, great. And that's I love yeah. that. I love the ability to be able to store long-term stuff and incubate it there. But the problem is, is that if I don't have a system that exists offline, yeah, then it's not going to be any good to me if like an app like Todoist or Asana or Trello goes away. Because mm-hmm. then you're like, okay, well, what am I going to do? Well, but but I relied on the tool. Well, yeah, carpenters don't rely on the tools as their sole. Like if 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 uh, if if a carpenter is using like a power saw and the power saw dies, the the carpenter doesn't go. Well, guess I can't do my job anymore. No, they yeah. they find another saw, and sometimes it's a it's a hand saw, and it'll take them longer. But right. the principles, the fundamentals, are still there. And yeah, the, the thing the saying is, it's a poor carpenter who blames the tools. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that, you know, it's <laughs> it, the same principles apply to you know people who are like, I bought all these containers from the container store, and I don't know why my office isn't more organized, uh, or right. I bought, yeah, or I bought Evernote and I put all my notes in there, and now I can't find anything, and it's Evernote's fault. Yeah. And getting back to the complexity, there are people who just get to be too in love with the system mm-hmm. and they want to monkey with it and tinker with it and learn all about it. I'm like, you know, okay, it's Wednesday now. You need to get back to work. Yeah. Yeah. You said it. So when I, when I, you know, I have a day, when I theme my days, I have a day called training day, which is Thursdays. And that's where I will spend time either tinkering or plan. Like I, that's my day where I can, you know, muck around mm-hmm. a bit if I want to. Right. Um, but I largely use that to learn new tools or new, or read or, or do some kind of professional development that has much further reach than I wonder how I can make these tags in Evernote or how they, or how I can make this app work better. It's right. more how do I connect things maybe or like automation. Mm-hmm. I spent some time this past Thursday learning more about automation because to me mm-hmm. that's helpful. But yeah. again, everything in moderation. Uh, I know lots yes. of people that automate the hell out of everything and then all of a sudden something breaks and they don't know where where it broke. It's like, it's like, it's like the cars that we used to be able to drive. And I'm sure you can, you know, you and I are probably in the same generational where we could remember that you bought a car and you didn't have to bring it to the shop for them to put it on a computer to figure out what's wrong with it. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. now, now you can't do that. Like, you, you know, Oh, something's wrong with the car. What is it? It's got to take it to the shop. They put it on the hoist. The computer tells us, whereas before you could just go in and like that's and that's the problem with automation is that if you have too many automations going on, you've got to do a whole lot of inspecting to figure out what it is. Whereas, you know, and I wrote a piece called the best type of automation, which is self-automation. Like, you know, again, those three lines. I know if it's got a line through it, it means this. If it's got an arrow through it, it means this. If it's got a scroll through it, it means this. Like that's 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 my brain doesn't have to remember as much. And I think that's one of the biggest takeaways I've taken from from Leo's work, especially, and and David Allen's work and, and Merlin's to a point too, which is less the less my brain has to remember, the oh, yeah. better my brain will work. Yeah, the simple situ- the simple solution is often the best one. So don't even bother. Don't don't go there. Use your creative energy for your own projects, not for figuring out how to use an app. Absolutely. You know what? This has been great, Claire. We gained steam too as we got closer to the end too. We were like, we we're as soon as I said you want to talk about productivity now, don't you? You're like, yeah, I don't get to. I just yeah. get to talk about clutter most of the time. So I'm glad we dove into that. Where can people um, find you online so they can learn more about you? I am at cluttercoach.net, and you can find links to actually most of my show notes are in the blog as posts, so you can link to my uh, podcast through that. And I have a sign up on my free stuff link for my newsletter that comes out twice a month. And I have books that are available on my website. I've got a little shop there and there's some tools that I, the few tools that I do recommend, which we didn't have time to talk about, but there's Mm -hmm. not very many, but there are some things that I do like and I recommend. So yeah, that's where I live. Cluttercoach.net. Hey, do you have any social media presence or anything like that? Yes, I am Claire Tompkins on Twitter, and I am Clutter Coach Claire on Facebook, and I think I'm just Claire Tompkins on LinkedIn, too. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Claire. This has been great. Yeah, thank you, Mike.
A big thanks to Claire for joining me this week on the show. Of course, you can look at all the things we discussed in the show notes of the podcast. I'd also love it if you would give the show a ratings or review in iTunes. You maybe have been listening to the show for the first time or you've been listening for a while. Subscribing to the show is one thing. Leaving a rating or review is another. It'll help people find the show. It'll also give John, podcast producer, and myself valuable feedback to know what we can do to make the show better. So thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to all of my Patreon supporters out there as well. Those who are uh, subscribing to the podcast, they get the extra day advanced listen to this. They get two bonus episodes and a whole bunch of other stuff. If you're not a patron already and are interested, head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and learn how to do that and take advantage of some of the perks that are there, which includes you know getting a copy of the Productivityist playbook just for being a patron. So check that out, patreon.com slash productivityist. Big thanks to John Polster for producing this show as well as the many beforehand and the many more to come. Thanks to all of you for listening. I am Mike Vardy, the host of the Productivityist podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. <laughs>